0: Hello and welcome to Let's Talk, a podcast series by the Electrochemical Safety Research Institute, ESRI, at UL Research Institute. In the Let's Talk series, we talk to experts and scientists in the fields of energy storage systems, safety science and standards and learn about their experiences and perspectives. I'm your host, Taina, and our guest in this episode is Professor Anna Stefanopoulou. She is the William Clay Ford Professor of Technology at the Mechanical Engineering Department of University of Michigan. I will talk to her about her work in understanding and predicting battery degradation, as well as battery failures through a combination of experiments, physics-based modeling, control theory and data analytics. Anna joined University of Michigan in 2000 after working at the University of California at Santa Barbara. She has also worked in the automotive industry, where she developed algorithms and calibrations for highly efficient and advanced powertrains. Her innovation in powertrain control technology has won her multiple awards and has been documented in a book in 21 US patents and 400 publications on estimation and multivariable control of dynamic electrochemical and thermomechanical processes in engines, fuel cells and batteries. To help inform policymakers, she has co-authored two influential reports sponsored by the National Academies on the cost-effectiveness of fuel-efficient technologies for light-duty vehicles. Anna is also a fellow of the ASME, IEEE and SAE. Anna, welcome to our podcast and thank you so much for being here.
1: Good to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Very excited about it.
0: Uh, So Anna, you have a very impressive background uh, working in varied fields, ranging from internal combustion engines to fuel cells and batteries. Uh, So could you tell us about your professional journey and how you became interested in working with lithium-ion batteries?
1: Oh, yeah. Wow, that's a long journey. Okay, so I will start uh, in um, my diploma thesis back in Greece. I worked on large diesel engines and turbocharging them and the emissions and fuel efficiency of course for the ones that they're marine engines. In my PhD thesis I worked in automotive engines and vehicle engines specifically variable valve timing. That was the best thing back then. Um, I won't tell you when uh, but uh, then later on when I worked in industry in the automotive industry I actually worked on cylinder deactivation And then in my first academic years uh, as a professor, I worked in a lot of other interesting technologies that goes in internal combustion engines. Then, you know, we we worked, we developed more technology, we made the engines more efficient. We, I also became, you know, became well known in some sense and, and, and I participated in a, in a uh, national academies committee where we looked at the cost effectiveness of internal combustion engines and the fuel economy of the cost effectiveness of the of the fuel economy of internal combustion engines. And that's when I realized that, uh, wow, you know, that uh, curve is going up as year progresses and we're trying to tighten emissions and fuel efficiency. Uh, And at the same time, battery technology cost effectiveness was uh, indeed uh, improving uh, at a rate where I could start seeing uh, some balancing and some uh, serious competition. And that is when uh, I decided to be adventurous. I had also, of course, tenure, uh, like some of us academics worry about. And uh, that's when I jumped in uh, learning myself using my sabbatical to learn about uh, batteries and working with uh, two of my senior students that they really wanted to do something new. And uh, that's when I got started in batteries, and I uh, started in 2004, so almost 20 years ago, uh, doing battery management systems specifically. So I'm in the controls and battery management field.
0: That's a very impressive journey. Thank you. so, in your current research, um, you have studied the aging of lithium-ion cells and batteries, and more specifically, the modeling and prediction of battery performance degradation. Um, could you describe what your group is doing in this area, and share your perspective on why it is important to understand and model cell and battery degradation?
1: Yeah, thank you. thank you. The, indeed, the last decade or so, I have been working on degradation. And specifically, the very hard problem of uh, tracking degradation and aging in, uh, with field data, data that come from onboard diagnostic systems in, in vehicles or in uh, grid applications, um, occasionally also satellites. But anyway, um, so that is a hard problem on its own for many reasons, uh, including irregularity of use. Uh, but also because we don't know very well how batteries age. Uh, we don't have the full understanding of the evolution and the inter- in- interconnection and the interaction between various degradation mechanisms and how they uh, appear, how they get to actually affect the two things we care about, which is capacity loss capacity fade, which results in lower range and increase in resistance that causes power fade. Um, So that is what uh, I focused on. And because my background is controls automation, of course, uh, I started uh, Uh, with more data-driven approaches, like, can we uh, basically take data from the field and uh, look at the pattern and the trend and extrapolate? And as I became wiser (laughs) and more adventurous, uh, and I got brilliant students around me, uh, a nice laboratory, I basically understood that data-driven approach has its limitations. It uh, it can only tell us what we've seen, you know, a pattern we've we've seen. It can only allow us to extrapolate among known regions, and so having a model, a physical model that can actually guide us through these extrapolations is very important. So we uh, really worked very uh, side to side, let's say, uh, closely with uh, uh, chemists, electrochemists. People that they actually know batteries and know the ins and outs and also the mathematical equations that describe the behavior. And so what we worked, we worked with them to uh, use these models and the data and feed the parameters in the model that will tell us if the battery is degrading or not. The uniqueness in, in my group is um, that we're trying to estimate or detect degradation and understand degradation, not just the cell lumped capacity and cell resistance like, you know, most of us do. Uh, and frankly, we hope to do. Even that is hard. But uh, in my lab, we try to actually understand the capacity of the anode and the cathode, and ideally, the resistance that occurs because of anode reactions and cathode reactions. We believe that is important to resolve as our batteries age, because that's what is going to give us a lot more um, information regarding degradation that could lead to failure and could lead to eventually safety issues. And, and that's why we are kind of drilling right now the last, let's say, two, three years into this hard problem on on really understanding is the aging happening and the capacity fade because there are some reactions in the anode uh, or there are some um, um, losses, uh, irreversible uh, phenomena in the cathode. The difference between these two can inform us not only about safety and faults, the risks but also can inform the battery management system that remember that's what i do Uh, if the battery management system knows if the anode or the cathode is is the one that is degrading faster then we can adjust on the fly the battery management system to not stress the part that is actually already aging and is is stressing so slow down the stressors and slow down the degradation. Maybe we can derate the battery so that we can safely continue it, uh, not uh, as uh, strong, <laughs> use it as strongly as before, but, but less, uh, you know, be, be gentle, let's say, as, as they age.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's very interesting. That's great. Um, in field use, Although it is very rare, uh, sometimes battery systems don't just age, but they fail uh, due to, for example, manufacturing defects or misuse in the field. Um, And these failures can, in the worst case, lead to a catastrophic thermal runaway and fire. Um, So Anna, your, your group is also working on methods for fault detection and mitigation for lithium ion batteries. Uh, So could you tell us about that work and how a fault in a battery cell could be detected before a catastrophic failure takes place?
1: Yes, thank you. Exactly. So, you know, it's an engineered system. Batteries are engineered, they they are manufactured, and then they're used uh, and abused. And and, uh, they could fail, like all engineering systems and part of our engineering is to actually understand the risks, uh, have the fault detection, and and be able to uh, take actions really quickly depending on the risks if that fault happens. So it's very tricky, like you said, very important to to uh, do the detection. So what um, we have been focusing is um, we know before a fault, um, the battery goes into this mode where it um, generates gas generate gases and starts a little, you know, swelling uh, much more than the general swelling you would see in a general level of degradation. Uh, And it swells because of this gas accumulation inside the pouch or the container or the cylinder where the um, electrode uh, material, chemical, electrochemistry is happening. So when uh, it... uh, uh, accumulates gases, Uh, one of the safety system of the battery is to actually vent. Uh, So what we are doing is we are doing a a diagnostic system that fuses information, not only from the voltage of the battery, but also uh, gas sensing. And also, uh, we're also measuring the swelling. Um, Sometimes that is hard to measure in a pack uh but uh, at least for um some applications we are we're working on developing um, cost effective solutions so that then we can uh, sense the swelling um, we can sense the venting between venting and thermal runaway there is a period and therefore there is a lot to be done in between um to uh, again uh, reduce or mitigate the risk or at least um Make make actions uh, to to um, yes re- reduce the the um, results <laughs> of uh, of a thermal runaway in a fire or an explosion. This is what we really are trying to avoid. Uh, it, it's this uh, the fire because uh, nearby areas can also contribute to fire, not just the, the batteries themselves. Um, and, uh, of course, explosions and, and other things that they are dangerous for uh, humans and for <laughs> property.
0: Thank you, Anna. Um, so, a follow-up question is that can you detect the swelling for the uh, cylindrical cells and maybe prismatic cells with the metal can too? Or is it more for pouch cells? Uh,
1: that, that's great. Yes, you're right. Absolutely. It's much easier to do that in pouch cells. Um um, to measure the swelling in um, prismatic cells, we have sown, We have seen swelling. The signal-to-noise ratio is not that uh, great. Uh, it's, it's this metric that uh, you know gives us high confidence levels, and so uh, trying to, we we definitely don't want to have uh, false positives, very often. Um, And therefore, that is still a work to be done that we're working on developing better understanding for um, hard encased cells or cylinders, cylindrical cells. But um, still, the gas sensing, the integration of information with gas gas sensing, it uh, does work. We have uh, written recent papers and, and, and presented some work on sensing CO2 with uh, NDR sensors um, which are relatively uh, inexpensive and and uh, long lasting and uh, that that is promising because one can um, place a sensor in the right place in the pack or uh, in a, a room and uh, that is going to be important as we are having big depots with batteries, uh, large recycling facilities, and also large manufacturing facilities. Manufacturing facilities have huge amount of battery storage, and we definitely want to keep these storage areas very, very safe and everything around them.
0: Thank you, Anna. When a fault is detected, what can be done to prevent the worst outcomes?
1: Sure, yes. I mean, obvious things is uh, for sure um, not taking power out of it, increasing the thermal um, management uh, to the maximum, the cooling, uh, so that uh, we max out, let's say, the cooling when, of course, uh, automated sprinklers, water is really good to immediately activate and, and cool down uh, the system. Uh, of course, when we know that there has been venting to also um, increase the flow rate and the uh, ventilation in the uh, system around that system. Um, classical techniques, um, when they uh, detect, uh, by classical meaning like non-battery fires, uh, when, when we have uh, detection of such uh, fires we tend to uh, actually seal the area uh, to starve it from oxygen but uh, here it's not the right perhaps way because we need to ventilate make sure that we don't have accumulation of these uh, gases that uh, later on can actually cause um, explosion and then um, you know there is some time between venting and thermal runaway And that time, if you have an automated way of detection and quick, as fast as possible, not before it happens, after it happens, like, you know, it vented, you know, these many cells vented. If you know that you can send a uh, in a depot, Um, you know, you can you can isolate the area with curtains, you can. Um, Or either air curtains or or hardware curtains, Uh, you can again, you know, uh, activate sprinklers or you can uh, even send a, um, you know, you you can send a robot that uh, picks up the pack and takes it away from the other packs. (laughs) And eventually, if we get to that, and I think we will get to that in the technology, uh, can we deactivate and discharge and de-energize the cells around them? So if we have a cell uh, then and we know that this cell or this sector um, is having troubles, uh, then can we de-energize and deactivate the cells around it so there's no propagation? So one or two cells, they can fail. It's okay. they it don't cause big problem, uh, but we don't want the entire pack to... Um, to start fire, uh, to 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 ignite. So this is what I'm saying: that um, detection, even when it happens immediately, not even before. I know we want to do it before, but I'm an engineer, and I'm going to be realistic. I want to say, let's do it immediately after it happens. And don't lose any time and act carefully, depending on uh, what is the environment and the surrounding. Uh, property and also opportunities we have to isolate the um, uh, faulty uh, battery.
0: Thank you. Those are very good points. I have one more question. So I was wondering if you could share with us some recommendation on what all of us as battery users can do to make sure that we use our battery powered devices or EVs in a way that maximizes the lifetime and safety.
1: Um, as users, uh, I think keep it cool, not, not keep it cold but keep it cool. <laughs> uh, it uh, would be something you can do as a user uh, but I also want to say that as a user, um, we need to understand batteries and the risks, but also we need to understand that this is a, new, uh, it's a growing um, knowledge, body of knowledge. And uh, frankly, we will engineer the system so that it is absolutely and totally safe. Um, and even if there are events and, and failures from the battery side, the actual system will be fail safe. So I don't think my my I guess my bottom line and recommendation is like the users should not worry. They should just use their battery device, power de- battery powered devices or EVs, frankly, without fear and and without hesitation. And um, uh, I would say if they are engineers, they can learn much more and dive in and and try to understand much more. But if they even if they're not engineers. Um, you know, really try to understand what a battery is because it's going to be the future from now on.
0: So that brings us to the end of this interview. So thank you again, Anna, for joining us and for sharing your work and perspectives.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'm glad you're doing this issue because uh, safety is definitely one of the top concerns, apparently, that uh, has been around and uh, we know that there have been recalls in vehicles and i think the public should see the recalls as a as a sign of how thorough we are in engineering batteries and making sure we improve we improve them that we improve the system around around them and uh from my side as an educator i want to say that i would you know continue working with you and communities that they need to learn uh, how to manage uh failing batteries like firefighters and first responders, second responders. I think that's the community that needs to know details and needs to be uh, very, uh, keep, keep being um, trained on the new technology and being able to recognize uh, the behavior uh, as it evolves.
0: Thank you for listening. Let's talk. Please stay tuned for the next episode.